the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. You are listening to the best of the Dennis Prager Show. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. A very, very, very different hour awaits you right now. And one that I just have deep, deep feelings with regard to because it's so personal. I owe a man my career in radio. And he is in this studio with me right now. It is an amazing thing to me that I have uh, I have been in radio for 33 years. It's it's a, it boggles my mind. I, I remember the first day so well. And the man who first hired me is one of the legends of radio. Ran one of the two most successful, if not the most successful, talk station of its time in Los Angeles. And that's uh, I began with him. 33 years ago, he offered me the opportunity at a very young age to host a very, very, very popular show, which, believe it or not, was on on Sunday evenings. But let me give you an idea of how popular it was. I actually have verified the statistic that I am about to relate to you. I have verified it because it's so unbelievable. In radio, if you get what they call, let's say, a three-share, that means you have 3% of all listeners to radio in that city, you are doing very, very well. A three-share is is considered excellent. You never hear of anybody going above a five or six-share. The super, super talent, super dominant voice doesn't. The show that he enabled me to host or tried me out on, and then gave me the job, had a 40% share, a 40 share. That means about half of every radio that was on in the largest listening area in the country, that is Southern California, was listening to that show. To this day, to this day, folks, people say, I, I hear, oh, Dennis, oh, religion on the line, oh, God, I love that. Atheists loved it. Jews, Christians, Muslims, Buddhists, uh, ev- everybody. It was just unbelievably popular. I was the I was the moderator. I remember it was popular before I took over. I'm not making any claims to have made it that way. I inherited this very popular show, and uh, it was a uh, it was two hours and was commercial free. So it was really like three hours, to be perfectly honest. We had on a rabbi, priest, and minister each week, different ones each week. 
sent by their respective religious communities. And then at the five-year mark, I did it exactly 10 years to the, to the week. is very uncanny. And uh, two years, uh, 10 years to the week. And after five years, I opened it up to every other religion on earth. And I had every single one. The only one I remember, I had everybody. I'm, I'm telling you, everyone. Buddhist monks. And I, of course, I had LDS people regularly. Uh, it's Mormons. I had, uh, I mean, we had, we had Messianic Jews on. I mean, everybody. The only one was not uh, was Jehovah's Witnesses. For some reason, uh, they we invited them, but it never worked out. But everybody else was uh, was on the show. My name was brought to uh, Roberta Weintraub. Brought this man my name, and I got to give her. I mean, I cannot say thank you to George Green without saying thank you to Roberta Weintraub. The man is here. He's also written a book. He himself, he has 50 interviews, and he asks questions about life. He, George Green, is curious about life. He's had, this is, I think, his third career now. And uh, it is, for me, uh, I get this sort of, uh, not only nostalgia, but sort of chills to see you, George Green, because I owe you so much. So welcome to my show. Oh, good morning, Dennis. Uh, uh, when was the last time that you had a guest on who started off crying? Oh, it's going to make me cry. Well, uh, I'm an emotional guy, and right. I look back on my career, and I look back on people like you, and there's tears in my eyes because mm. I'm so proud. So I'm proud of what I did and so proud of the people that I helped create. Creating Dennis Prager was was one of the great things in my career. When Roberta came to me, she said, George, I've got a, an interesting man that I'd like you to talk to. His name is Dennis Prager. And I said, oh, fine. I'd, you know, It was 1982, and I had been there since 1960. I had been the general manager since 1979. And in 1982, we were going along very strongly, and Dennis Prager comes into my life. Well, sit down, Dennis. I'd like to talk to you. Well, it didn't take very many minutes for me to discover the one word that I used for my entire career. Of all the people that I ever hired, all of them had one, one characteristic that you had so much of and you still have so much fascinating and I found you fascinating within the first five minutes that mm -hmm. I that I met you. We chatted, we talked. You went on the air, and that show took off like it was a rocket ship. And we never had anything on the air at at that radio station. Oh, well, you I could mean, say it was KBC. Well, it was KBC Angeles. at yeah. that time. It right. certainly uh, right. was it, at that time. It, but it's a different. Uh, nevertheless, yeah. Yeah. It, nevertheless, the sta the the program took off. And I said, I've got a gem here. I've got something that's really very valuable. And, and I think, well, you did the show for 10 years, but I think it was three years later uh, or two or three years later that I moved you into the nighttime show. And then we went on up into the daytime show where you, you were forever. And then after that, you went on into syndication. But uh, your career has been unbelievable i see the accomplishments i see the books uh religion on the line guess what i have in front of me 
I have all the cassettes of everything you've ever done. Wow. What, what else do I have in front of me? The Dennis Prager book with a wonderful little From opening. From when? What was the, what's 19, the date on January it? January 19th, 96, for George, with great gratitude for enabling me to bring these values. How important is that word values in your life? Uh, and uh, ideas to so many people for 14 years. All my best wishes, Dennis Prager. So... You're a great deal, very important in my life, and you always will be. Well, I'm very touched, I, I, obviously. Uh, somebody's got to give you a start. And you, I remember exactly, and tell me if you remember this, I remember exactly what you were looking for. Uh, as I understood it, you said to Roberta Weintraub, who was then the head of the Los Angeles uh, Board of Education, you said, uh, Roberta, do you know somebody who might be able to host this show? And she said, well, what do you need? And you said, he, he or she has to, because it was a she, I, re I replaced. He or she has to speak well, has to know religion, but not be a clergyman. Hmm. So she said, yeah. Is that right? Do you remember that? That's right. <laughs> so I apparently, so I filled the bill. Now, he, uh, folks, I just have to tell you because I've never, I've never talked about this and reminisced about this. This is perfect to have George Green here to do this. So I was, I, I was uh, moderating the show. Now remember, again, I told you there were no commercials, so there was no break in which to talk. And your program director, Wally Sherwin, was sitting next to me because I didn't know how to press buttons. I, I couldn't do anything. All I could do was talk. So he would press the buttons, take calls, get rid of the calls, and all of this stuff. It looked to me like, you know, some complex science. And at 11 o'clock, it was 10 to midnight, at 11 o'clock, he slipped me a note. And I, I regret terribly that I didn't keep it. Tell them you'll be on next week. And it was probably the most important note I ever received. That's how it happened. I don't even know if you know this. Well, I don't remember the note, but... but well, I'm, you couldn't. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying, yeah. I'm you glad he, yeah. Uh, he wrote the note, and I'm, I'm glad to be here with you. I was sweating so much, George, that I was dripping onto the microphone. <laughs> and I remember thinking, will anybody think I'm broadcasting outdoors in a slight rain? <laughs> I, it was a silly thought, but I remember thinking that as the drops came on the microphone. All right, we'll be back and reminiscing. If you have questions uh, about uh, how the career of this radio person you're listening to began, you're certainly welcome to speak to George Green, who is a legend in radio, and rightly so. He has a book out, and it is Out of the Spotlight, over 50 interviews with famous, successful people who enjoy their lives as they move from one spotlight into another. It's fascinating reading, to use your term, fascinating. We'll be back in a moment. You are listening to The Dennis Prager Show, 1-8 Prager 776. Hello, my friends, and welcome back, or welcome to my show. I'm Dennis Prager, and this is a rare uh, hour, unique, actually. And it is very personal. My origins in radio, which I... Don't speak about because it just doesn't come up. But uh, the man who made it possible, the first man to hire me, picked me out of nowhere, as it were, is a radio legend, George Green, who's really one of the fathers of talk radio as we know it. And it's as simple as that. 
He was general manager of the ABC station in L.A., with which I began my career. And I remember, I explained the last last hour how that happened and what show I began with. I remember, George, when I brought my parents to meet you. I'll never forget this. And it was I even remember it was the old building. And you said to them, your son is going to be a star. And of course, my mother went nuts. I will. I will say, my mother loved stars. So she, the thought that our son might she be didn't a say star. why wasn't he a doctor? <laughs> yeah, she did until you actually <laughs> until you she did lament. My brother was the uh, was, talk about in the spotlight. My brother had been in the spotlight. You know, you you can't really compete with a guy who goes to Harvard Medical School. There's nothing left. You know, heaven. Uh, but anyway, you, I'll never forget, and you were so gracious to them, and they, they, they didn't blink as they walked through the, the radio station and saw the, the, you know what it was like. And I, It was very, very touching to me. I didn't think of myself, and still don't, as a star. But, I, but I, obviously, I understood what you meant, and I'll never forget their being with you. You don't remember their visit by any chance, do you? There no. would be no reason that you would. No, uh, I don't yeah, remember, yeah. but, well, but was, what I should have added, what, if I had to add now, I would have said, superstar. Oh, well, well okay. <laughs> Which you are. Now, come uh, on, I well, know you're well, modest, but let me tell though. you, there are very, very few people at your level who have done as well and, and have consistently stayed the line has changed so many people's lives and they're thinking they're, more, they're thinking about the moral way of living a good life and a, a clean life and an honest life my goodness uh, I just uh, I wish that word could be hmm. could be communicated to not three million people to maybe a hundred million people well, that's true. That 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 I do. I I, I think much more about those I don't touch because the the this the the task is so great today. Because I worry about America terribly, to be honest. I I I, go, I do. I go to sleep and wake up thinking about it. I sleep well. I sleep fast, but I I worry about my country a great deal. So uh, I went, folks, from this show, uh, George. After a couple of years, as he mentioned, said to me, "You know, Dennis, you you might." consider doing an hour of your own without guests and i remember thinking me an hour wow it was such a compliment now that show was on 10 to midnight and with this gigantic audience i might add you know how many people folks would say to me you know dennis and including women women this was like a running joke every woman who said it didn't know that it was said by others but you know my husband doesn't know this but i i go to sleep with you every sunday night you uh i i I don't want to interrupt you, but no, I no, must. No, no, please. Absolutely. One, one very, very important point that you just brought up. I gave you a nighttime show, Monday through Friday, but you would not do Friday night. That's right. Because it was a Shabbos. Because of the Sabbath. And because yeah. of the Sabbath. So you pre recorded Friday night, and I allowed that to happen, yes. and it worked out well. I was very grateful to you for that. But, uh, but ultimately, uh, we went to. That's right. Oh, yeah, that's right. You're right. I was on nine to midnight. That's the first weekday show that I got, and I and I didn't do it on Friday. That's, That's right. right. Thank you for that, and thank you for everything, of course. But uh, anyway, so you said, "All right, try this." It was very funny what happened. So then I succeeded from nine to ten, and then you said, "Man, eh, let's get another hour in." So then I would go eight to ten, and then ten to twelve. 
Then you said, it's really going well, Dennis. How about a third hour? <laughs> I said, George, I'll be on five hours. So you said, basically, so what? <laughs> and so, uh, I re- so I was then on 7 to 12. Then you said, what about Saturday night? You know, after after sunset. <laughs> so I okay, so then I went on 9 to 12. Um, George, I remember saying on the air, I said, folks, I actually feel bad for those of you who don't like me. Because if you turn the radio on on Saturday night or Sunday night, I'm all you get. <laughs> yeah, but you see, you see, what you didn't know, Dennis, yes. is the personality who followed you, Ray Bream, came yes. into my office and said, if you dare give uh, uh, Dennis Prager my hours, I'm going to kill you. Oh, that's so, funny. Oh, no, I, no, didn't, I didn't know no, that. No, but Dan, uh, Mr. Mr. Bream was doing extremely well, and I figured you couldn't do eight hours in a row. No, I want to <laughs> tell you, let me, let me say, though, now that you mentioned Ray Bream, I first, I adored Ray Bream, another legend in radio he was on midnight to five folks i have to tell you this is the way it was it this is prior to the internet i would be doing the show till uh then on weeknights he didn't do weekends so he he was your star overnight so i would do the show monday to thursday pre-record friday at nine to midnight so he would walk into the studio around 10 10 30 but he wouldn't come in alone he uh, he did come in alone as, in terms of people, but he came in with gigantic uh, what, 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 file cabinets, gigantic metal. He would roll them in. You have to understand, folks, the file cabinets were as large as he was, and he was a large man. So he would roll <laughs> these things into the studio because he did. The, we didn't have an internet to look up information. He brought his world of information into. Did you know that about a file cabinet? No, because you wouldn't be there. Why you? Why would you no, be there? I would only uh, show yeah. up once in a while to show him that a manager was still alive. Yeah. <laughs> and I walk in the middle of the night. He said, "Look, what are you doing here?" Yeah, right. Okay, so I'm, I'm giving you a story then that you didn't even know about about this. It was so funny to watch him, and I and I loved. And you know what? I said to him, "I'll never forget this." And he was always so good to me. I said, "Ray, when I got the daily job." I said, Ray, am I going to have enough things to talk about three hours a day? And he cracked up. The guy had five hours a day and didn't have enough time. He said, Dennis, I promise you this is not an issue. (laughs) God, was he right? Because I so lament all the time we didn't have more time. Let me just tell you, folks, that there is a... Now, is the book of the book available on Amazon? It's available by going to uh, georgegreen.net. Georgegreen.net. And that'll take you... You push a button and you'll see Out of the Spotlight. Right. And we're the most fascinating... And do we have a link at our... Uh, and we have a link at DennisPrager.com straight to you. Yeah. Okay. That, so it's really worth getting... You'll, you'll really love it. I'm happy to uh, recommend it to you. Uh, what is it? Over 50 people that you've 57. interviewed. And, and what is it like to lose the spotlight? Because that's true for everybody, folks. Well, Whatever your work. Uh, I was given three days' notice after 38 years. Oh, we're going to talk about that. Oh, that's a story. Back in a moment with George Green, I'm Dennis Prager. That uh, theme that you hear in the background... is the uh, 
first theme of my radio show. It's from Handel, the great classical composer who composed The Messiah, his most famous piece. This piece became so popular in Los Angeles, which I think my my guest will find fascinating, that, that we had so many listeners at the time that Tower Records, the giant record company that no longer exists, Tower Records, which had a giant sign-up as featured on Dennis Prager's show, Handel's Concerto Adue Cori Number 2. <laughs> Most people didn't hear of Handel, let alone Concerto Adue Cori Number 2. <laughs> but they sold out. I mean, at Tower Records, because it's such a beautiful piece. And with classical music, the way it works is the more you hear it, the more you love it. And they would hear this piece every day, uh, every hour, actually, that I began, uh, that I would begin the show. I began, thanks to this man, the general manager of what was then a, a profoundly successful station. It is not so today for very sad reasons that have to do with, actually, the owners who became incompetent and did a terrible thing. But it's a, it's a separate story. George Green is the legend here. He was the general manager was your station in L.A. the first 24-hour talk station? Yes, it was. <clears throat> 19, wow, 19, wow. 1960. So I not was, even WABC in New York at the time. No. As a matter of fact, the, the general manager of WABC came out to Los Angeles. His name was Ben Hoberman. And he told the sales staff I was there from 1959. But in 1960, he says, uh, we're going to take a little leaf from the success of WOR in New York and KMOX, a little talk there. We're going to go all talk. And all of us looked up and said, what is that? He said, well, you'll see. So Wait, we, you, you said, no music? No music, I said. How could you sell a radio station without any music? And we went out on the street and said, here's what we have. We have this talk station. And we had to explain what it was. And the first indication that we had, that we had something, was that the advertisers that we were selling $1 or $5 or $10 spots per, they were getting results and said, what is happening here? And we found out that the people who listen to talk radio listen because they want to hear what's being said. And there's a lot of difference between hearing and listening. You could stand up on top of the building and saying Coca-Cola, but nobody they can hear the sound. But listening is different than digesting the, the mm-hmm. message, which is why this radio station and you and the talk, sta- talk personalities all over America do so well getting results because people listen to hear information and entertainment, and that's the key behind talk radio. Yeah, and, and nobody would know that as well or better, certainly not better than you. And this... Uh this this was the uh, the the man. I was so nervous, George, when uh, when I met you first, because I knew you as a legend, and uh, here I was, a kid in his early thirties, <laughs> and you know I'm going to get a show out, out of nowhere. You know, it's not like I had oh well, you know this kid Prager, he uh, he's had this uh, night show in Idaho, and I'm going to listen to some tapes. That was the day. Of, those were the days of tapes, and uh, you know we'll try him out. I had never done radio. Why, why did you gamble on me? Well, because, you know, when you, when you manage a radio station or manage a business, uh, you know, you can't think 
forever about about things. You have to have certain Instinct. ideals, uh, and I heard oh, you, ideals. Okay. and 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 I realized that you were fascinating, and I understood that you had a message to tell, and our listeners, as same listeners you have listening here to the Salem Network. Uh, and KRLA here in Los Angeles, these listeners are more intelligent, they're brighter, they're a little older, and, and they understand the world. And that's why, um, that's why I hired you, because I felt there's a message people are going to like to hear. Wow. Well, the other is, uh, you said ideals, and I thank you for that, but I will also say you had an instinct. I mean, that's, that's, people who have gifts have instincts. And you go, and you 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 led by it. George Green has a book out, by the way. I, I'm very happy to promote. Out of the spotlight. I'll talk about it in a moment. Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager here, and it pains me to say it's the final uh, segment of this hour because this is so touching to me. And he he's a remarkable person, and he. He's a legend in talk radio. He started the first 24-7 talk radio station. It was a, an unbelievable success. I was there in the heyday. I was a kid, basically. He gambled on me, worked out, thank God. And he has a book of, uh, of interviews with people. He also has children's books out. They're all at georgegreen.net. You can go link at dennisprager.com or just go for Out of the Spotlight, the book at Amazon. I mean, any but it's worth your while. He's very human, and he got to talk to people who were in the spotlight big time and then out of the spotlight. But that's true for everybody. Everybody is in the spotlight and then out of the spotlight. That is the nature of life. And you don't think it, which is the point here of Estelle Getty's great line to you. you when you're a success, you don't think it'll end. So you spend all your money... You let others handle all your money, and then you end up with no money. How, how Don't you ever wonder how did these great stars or great athletes who had tens of millions of dollars, how did they go bankrupt at 40, George? Well, uh, I asked all 57 people about their advice, and Estelle Getty, who is a superstar uh, with Golden Girls, and I said, what advice would you give to others to win that spotlight when they start dimming? What should they do? And she said, you can't become seduced by this. You go into this business having made a normal living, and then all of a sudden you're making $50,000 a week, which is a ridiculous sum of money. Depend on no one for your sustenance. <clears throat> Don't turn your life over to anyone who, can't ruin, who can ruin it. Depend upon yourself. Because in the final analysis, that's all you've got. All right, we'll leave the quote at there because of the time. But that's why you need to, you do, you should read this. Out of the spotlight, George Green, three ways to access it. I have so many calls and it kills me because people would love to speak to you. Jim in uh, California wants, what would my career be if I hadn't gotten into radio? I, I often, I would have continued speaking and writing, I guess. What Maybe, maybe I'd have gone into politics, but I doubt it because you have to, you have to have a fortune or a huge name. I don't know. Anyway, Dave, Duncan, Russ, Steve, thank you for your calls. Tony called to say he met you and what a humble man you are. You are. You're a wonderful man, George. And let me say to my many listeners, thank you from the bottom of my heart for making my career possible. Well, thank you from the bottom of my heart for being part of my life. God bless you, sir. We will continue. You are listening to The Dennis Prager Show. 
This is a red alert for hardworking Americans who are tired of seeing their freedoms and savings threatened by the globalist agenda. Wealth Protection Research is on a mission to find whistleblowers who are exposing the schemes that threaten your financial security. We're talking about real patriotic financial warriors like Jim Rickards and Porter Stansberry. They're not afraid to tell it like it is, exposing how the system is rigged against you. Text IDEAS to 76626 to find out more. With the 2024 election storming our way, your IRA and your 401k appear to be in the crosshairs. That's why we've compiled our three favorite ideas from Freethinkers. Don't wait for a knock on your door telling you it's too late. Get this critical report. Text IDEAS to 76626. The fight for your financial freedom is on. Text IDEAS to 76626 now for your free report. That's IDEAS to 76626. Standard text and data rates may apply. You are listening to the best of the Dennis Prager Show. It's the happy, 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 happy hour. Yes, it is. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Happiness Hour on the Dennis Prager Show. Every week at this time, we devote an hour to the subject of happiness. Because happy people make a better world. We have a moral obligation to be happy. We have a moral obligation to be happy. We have a moral obligation to be. You owe it to everybody around you. All righty, everybody, welcome to the Happiness Hour. Every week at this time on the Dennis Prager Show, and I'm Dennis Prager. Hi. I speak about happiness because it is actually an underrated, it is not overrated, it's an underrated subject. One of the greatnesses about America is that it has enshrined the pursuit of happiness in its founding document. People who want to be happy tend to be better people. The uh, Not every unhappy person becomes bad, but just about every bad person is unhappy. So, folks, uh, we have, and aside from that, we have a moral obligation to everybody in our life. Our children, our parents, our spouses, our friends, our co-workers, the person you sit next to in an airplane, the person you're in an elevator with for half a minute. You have an obligation to act if not at least, if not be, to at least act as happy as possible. I don't mean giddy. I don't mean silly, goofy. That that. Although I don't have a problem with that, but I, uh, you know what I mean. All right. Now, I am going to hit pay dirt with some of you. Be interesting to see how many of you relate to this. I have spoken to you about the martyr. Yep, the martyr, the person who has, who has just suffered at the hands of others so terribly, and that's the reason for his or her constant or nearly constant anxiety and sadness. Oh, woe unto me, I have been hurt by my parents, by my children, by my spouse, by my friends, by society, by my work. I am a martyr to life. All right, we we know we probably I guess almost everybody knows somebody like that. But today I want to talk to you about a specific form of martyrdom that has a terrible impact on the happiness of that individual, certainly, but of another individual in particular, and that is one's child. 
And I am speaking about the parent who believes that because he or she has sacrificed so much for the child, the child owes a huge debt to the parent. Now, I am of the belief that children do owe parents honor. I, after all, try to live by the Ten Commandments, and one of them is honor your father and your mother. That is why I have done a number of shows, and I think we should do it again, Alan, about the subject of adult children who don't speak to their parents. I think that's awful. There are a handful of occasions where I understand it, but it is so rare as to be almost non-existent. Why, you can't even send something in print if you can't even talk, but to act like you are dead is unfair except to the most evil, vile, vicious parent. We owe our parents honor whether or not we like them. That's why there's no commandment to love your parents. There is to love the stranger, there is to love the, your, your neighbor, and there is to love God, but there is no commandment to love your parent. But there is a commandment to honor your parent. So you know, therefore, I want need to put this in context because of what I'm about to say. We have obligations to our parents. But this notion of I am sacrificing my life for my child and therefore my child will owe me or I did sacrifice so much of my life or my whole life for my child, therefore my child owes me X, Y, Z, is awful and is is so bad and so hurts the child that the following is my general rule. If you are going to sacrifice for your child in the expectation, in the hope, or let alone the demand that your child be permanently in your gratitude for your sacrifices, stop sacrificing. That's right. How's that? 1-8 Prager 776. 1-8 P-R-A-G-E-R 776. Don't give up your life for your child in the expectation that your child will be permanently grateful and, and show it to you. If your child is permanently grateful, that is beautiful. But that is not the reason for you to engage in your, in your sacrifice. Your child will have his or her own life, and so should you. If you know of an example of, of, of what I am speaking, it would probably be very helpful to others who are listening to hear about this. I am familiar with cases of this, where the parent has, uh, has said, oh, I gave up everything for you, and uh, you owe me for the rest of your life, and it interferes with the marriage of their child, their child's marriage to, to someone, because the, the parent still expects the child to be married to him or her. I have a feeling it's more hers than him's that uh, wherein this takes place, but we'll see anecdotally at least how that plays out with you. So, folks, it's very simple. We, we all, any good parent sacrifices for their child. Of course, it's a given. And I include myself in that, in that uh, group. Absolutely. That's my duty. 
I don't expect my child to therefore be, be, be attached to me at the hip for the rest of his or her life. Let my child do it for his child or her child. That's the way, that's the way life should work. You do for your child and your child does for that child. Now, of course, there are times you, you want, you know, the child has, has an, feels a moral obligation to a parent who is very sick. That's totally different. That's a separate story. And, and that happens a lot, and it's a very beautiful thing. But uh, this, this notion, and, I, and I, I've seen it. I gave up everything to raise you, and, and here you are making your own life. That's, that's in effect, what that, that parent is saying. Uh, I, I did everything for you, and now look, you're being happy on your own. Huh. How dare you? After all I did for you. After all I did for you. Now, you know I believe in gratitude. God, do I believe in gratitude. It's the essence of my outlook on life. There is nothing that I, there's no human trait I find more disgusting than ingratitude. Whether the macro level or the micro level. I I feel that people are not grateful for America. I get angry at them. And that's on the macro level. And I I feel anger toward people who are not grateful to those who've helped them. All righty. 1-8 Prager 776. Let's see what you have to say on this because this is huge. This is huge in many people's lives. You owe me, my child, because look at all I sacrificed for you. Linnell in Tustin, California. Dennis Prager, hi. Hi, Dennis. Long-time listener and a cruise buddy. Oh, hi again. <laughs> um, my mother was incredible. She told me, uh, starting very young, that she owed me everything, or my brother and I everything, because she decided to bring us into this world. And um, that's the philosophy that I have with my kids also. Wow, she turned it all around. Yes. It's the opposite of, of the you owe me, I owe you. That's right. Because I brought you into the world. Exactly. Well, which is exactly right, by the way. It is exactly well, I, right. Well, I, I, I have a, I have a built-in duty as a parent. I shouldn't have been a parent if I wasn't prepared to sacrifice. That's exactly right. Well and, said. And that is that is really well said. Thank you very much, Linnell. That's exactly right, folks. If you're going to have a child then you have certain duties which involve, by definition, a certain level of self-sacrifice. That is the reason that a lot of people in Western Europe and a lot of people, not as many in America, decide not to have children at all. They don't want to self-sacrifice. That's fine. I mean, I'm not happy about their decision, but I respect their honesty. You have a child. That's what it is. That is what you do. But then to walk around thinking, oh, my child is, is, you know, must be bonded to me forever because of that. And then interfere with their life, which is, uh, which is their own life. It's, by golly, it's un-American. By the way, I mean that literally. We'll be back in a moment. 1-8 Prager 776, the happiness hour on the Dennis Prager Show. Hey, you're listening to the happiness hour on the Dennis Prager Show. Subject that I have a feeling is hitting some of you like such a bullseye that it, it actually may ache 
or may actually be so wonderful to hear this on, on, on your radio. And I'd love to hear from you. You can email me if you can't get through on the calls. Calls are 877-243-7776 and PragerRadio.com, and you can email me through that. About martyring yourself, the self-sacrifice individual. Oh, I did so much for you, my child. I gave my life up for you, and now look at you. You're having your own life. Well, your children are supposed to have their own lives. They're also supposed to honor you. And by golly, it's even nice if they'd express gratitude. Absolutely. But they have their own lives. And if you are having a child and you are sacrificing for the child, which is inevitable in being a good parent, inevitable, then you, uh, you, you cannot do it. Stop, stop it. If, if in your mind is, well, they will do the following for me when they get older. They'll owe me. They'll owe me. You do it because it's the right thing to do as a parent. Or stop sacrificing so much. Because the price that you will exact from your child for that sacrifice is is not worth it. Let's go to your calls here. Belinda, River Falls, Wisconsin. Dennis Prager, hi. 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 Dennis, it's it's an honor to talk to you. Your show does a service for the country, and your happiness hour is a blessing. Thank you very much. I want it to be. Thank you. Um, I'm married to a man whose whose mother is that martyr. She is exactly what you're describing, um, and you know he he's always been close to her until she finally basically put him in a position to say, you know, it's it's your wife or me That's because right. I should be more important in your life. Yeah. And she didn't like the decision he made, and uh, you know he chose me over her. Um, which is, it, it's, it's terrible, you know. Well, she forced it. She did. And, you know, in my... And, and if he, cho- and if he just, chose her first, you wouldn't be married. Right, right. And, and, and he sees the example of me and my mother. My mother considers her children blessings, you know. And, and, and she lives for us because we are blessings to her, you know. And, and she's, she has been so, such a proponent of you living your life not for me, but for yourself. Right. The irony is that parent gets more love. Yes. The one that so. lets go gets more love. Right. And there's there's the whole gratitude, the issue of gratitude. You know, my mother is grateful to have the children she has just because she has them. And, and you know, his mother doesn't seem to be grateful for anything. Yep, so it appears your yours is the perfect example, unfortunately, Belinda. And, and, <laughs> um, and I, I think I think a lot of it is, you know, she raised her family, she's a single mother, it was a bitter divorce, he is the oldest. Um, you know, and and so he he's been there all along for her, and it truly is a you owe me because I suffered so much. That's it. You owe me because I suffered so much. That's right. Belinda, thank you. It was a perfect it's the perfect illustrative call. Patricia in Cleveland, Dennis Prager, thank you for calling. Uh, yes, I just wanted to say that I'm one of those people whose mother, you know, raised me saying you owe me everything and I expect to live with you when I get older and that kind of thing. And wow. it took me many, many years of therapy to 
unhinged from my mother. I mean, we were like almost close, so closely merged. We didn't know where each other, you know, began where the other ended. So my comment is I spent lots of money and lots of years in therapy because of something like that. That is a very powerful phrase that you used, that you didn't know where your mother ended and you began. Right? Is that what you said? Yep, that's true. The merging, the merging. Was there a father involved? Um, my father died when I was about 14, so it really started heavily after that, so. Uh, I, that's why I asked, because I think that that's slightly more prevalent in mm-hmm. the cases of a mother who became a single mother through death or, or abandonment. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you finally, how long, you must have had a good therapist, because not everybody can even get through, uh, through this through therapy. Um, well, I was I was in therapy for about six years, and did you? I, are you married? Yes, I am. The, and and I, that, has that worked out? Oh, absolutely. I oh, mean, good. I, okay, good. I, I know better. <laughs> right. Well, you could probably write a book on the subject. This is so. This is so important. The, it, it's part two of of another thing. Remember, I said earlier it was un-American, and I, you know it almost sounded funny to you, but I really mean that because American life, one of its great virtues, as opposed to traditional life back in Europe or or certainly other parts of the world, is that a child is not an extension of you. The uh, the the primitive, which is nearly universal view, is that your child is an extension of you. The, the, in America, it was changed, and it is one of the greatnesses of this country, culture, that the child became an autonomous human being. And this is not new psychobabble. This was before psychology ever arose as, as an independent field or, or with that name. One's child is not an extension, let alone a clone of oneself. One eight Prager seven seven six, Kathleen in Chicago. Dennis Prager, hi. Hi, Dennis. How are you? Oh, well, oh, great. Thank you. Good, good. Um, I'm 26, and I guess uh, I'm considered part of the so-called entitlement generation um, because we tend to wait a little bit longer until um, we've had our careers and our single life to settle down. Um, but actually, I see it as maybe being a little bit more healthy, and I think our generation will have less martyrs because we're going to be, you know, ready to have that stage of our life and ready um, to bring children into the world. Because you will have felt you will have felt fulfilled in yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And well, I that's we a big that. part of it. That is a big part of it, to feel mm-hmm. fulfilled in yourself. And by the way, one can feel fulfilled as a mother. Yes. One yes. does not need a profession to feel fulfilled, no. nor does everybody no. in professions feel fulfilled. Uh-huh. But that comes from one's own regard for oneself. Yes. Do I lead a I full agree. life? I agree. And so we're making more choices um, personally instead of you know sacrificing well, well, no, we are called to sacrifice, but we're not called to think of ourselves as martyrs. Yes, exactly. Yes, there is an element of sacrifice in parenting. Thank you so much for that call, Kathleen. There is, please understand, folks, 
you if you don't sacrifice for your children as a parent, there's something wrong with your parenting. Time, money, emotional draining, I mean, a whole host of things. But just don't see yourself as some sacrificial, sacrificing martyr. 1-8 Prager 776. You are listening to the best of the Dennis Prager Show. That's right. My parents understood that when I was 14, and life has been really wonderful since. Dennis Prager here. This is the Ari Southern General. Whatever's on your mind about you, about me, about life, about death. You can even call in about Sean McConnell. I won't take the call, but you're certainly free to call in. (laughs) I want you to enjoy the music right now. All right, everybody, about, about anything you want about life, two caveats. One, I particularly love calls about cigars, fountain pens, classical music, audio equipment, and photography. <laughs> I got it right. There's no predicting. There's absolutely no predicting. I don't even know if I'll get it right when I start the five. And the other is, don't be offended if I drop your call before taking it. There could be any number of reasons, none of them having to do with you or anything about the quality even of the call. I just may not want to discuss the topic. I may even know nothing about the topic. I had call about car restoration in the last hour. I don't know anything about car restoration. What can I tell you? There are manifold, there are myriad ways of enjoying life, thank God. And what works for you may not work for me, and what works for me may not work for you. That's why not all of you are interested in cigars, fountain pens, classical music, audio equipment, or photography equipment, just to give some examples. All right, everybody, what's on your mind? Let's see here. Okay. Uh, yeah, Cleveland, Ohio, Bob, the home of the Guardians. I'm I'm getting nauseous as I say it. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, good afternoon, uh, Dennis. Uh, I'm hoping maybe you can clarify something for me. Uh, the other day you were discussing free will, and you uh, made the assertion, I believe, if I'm understanding you correctly, that... Um, um, those that believe in God uh, have free will, whereas those who do not. You're do not close, but you're close, but uh, proverbially no cigar. What I said okay. was only if there is a God is there free will. I never said only believers have free will. Either either everybody has free will or nobody has free will. But. Only if there is a God do we have free will. If there is no God, we are just physical beings. We are sophisticated robots. And that's why I cited that Stanford professor who wrote a book saying we have no free will. He says there is no God and there is no free will because we are just mechanistic. He is honest. Okay, There's a, clar- 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 clar for me then. If there is a God, how does that... Because it means that there there is something in us 
that is that makes us up that transcends the physical. I am not only neurons. And how how would we know that? We don't know it. That's why I said, if there is a God, then there is, then we are not just neurons, and if there is no God, we are only neurons. I, I, I never claim I know God exists. I always claim I believe God exists. What, okay, I, so do, it's, what it's, I do know, this is important, are the consequences of no God. That's, that's, my life has been devoted not to telling God that people that God exists, but to teaching people the consequences of atheism and secularism. Okay, so, but essentially what you're saying is you're asserting a belief. No, I'm not at all. It is not a belief that only if there is a God is there free will. That's a fact. It is a belief that there is a God. And, 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 and how, how is that evidenced as a fact? Because it, it, even the atheist professor would agree with that. Only if there is something non-physical... Can there be free will? There, you, Bob, are you are either only your your neurological pathways in terms of making decisions, or you, there is something that transcends your neurological pathways because there is, if you will, a soul in you, just to use a religious term. But if there is no God, if there is no nothing that transcends the physical. You are only physical. If you are only physical, you have no free will. I can't do better than that. I would I would argue that be, uh, that that we we have free will to the degree that we've learned to use our physical capabilities uh, profitably in a, in a in you know in the most constructive ways. Yeah, but if there if you're only physical. That decision was already preordained by your physical being. You you That's didn't right. make that decision any more than your computer makes a decision. Right. It starts out that way. So, where we start out with nurture and nature experiences. Yeah, but yeah. Then uh, we have, but then we have the opportunity to develop more free will if we learn how to use our thinking, our yeah, emotions. Yeah, but you're deluding yourself is exactly what the atheist professor correctly would note. You're fooling yourself if you think you have free will. I, I, I'm not saying we well, have total free will. I'm saying well, no, we no. Have there's free either will free will. Or, okay, either there's free will or there isn't free will. Total. There's no total anything. But if there is no free will. If there, if we are only physical, I, I can't. As I said, I can't do better than that. It's self-evident to me. We're robots. If there's no God, we're robots. That's it. Every atheist professor that I know of would acknowledge that. Every, certainly every honest. If you can't argue, we are only physical and we have free will. That, that that's uh, self-contradictory. Because there is no you there. You're just the. You're just the the, the product the sum total of your physical being. Okay, let's see here. Uh, Nancy in Philadelphia, hello. 
Hi, Dennis. Um, I had the answer for that prior caller, but my, um, my I told your call screener that I have a relatively insignificant comment. I love the relatively insignificant comments, the RICs. On this uh, otherwise very somber day. Um, so when I hear you use the, um, the phrase, y'all, yeah. meaning you all, right. it, always, it always hits my ear wrong, because when I lived in the South, I was taught that y'all is singular. All y'all means everybody. Y'all, y'all means the singular? Correct. So if I'm just talking to you, I'd say, so what are y'all doing tomorrow? Exactly. And I know you're a word person, so it might matter to you. It matters a great deal to me, but it makes no sense. Well, I agree, but that's how it's used in throughout the So South. it's not used when, when a Southerner is talking to a group of people? They would say all y'all. They would say all y'all? Correct. You know, now I'm happy the Phillies lost. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't I don't find that plausible. I was just in Mississippi two weeks ago. Nobody said to me, all y'all. All right. Anyway, we'll get some Southerners to, to weigh in on that uh, on that issue. All right, let's see here. Okie Let's go to Camarillo, California. George, hello. Hi, Dennis. Hi. Let me ask a question. Hi. Uh, we, we, there was just a war, uh, the Azeri Turks versus the Christian Armenians. It was kind of at a standstill. Uh, wait, I'm, wait, I'm familiar. One second. I got to try to, uh, I got to get my war straight. You're not talking yeah, about the Azerbaijani-Armenian war. Exactly. You're not, correct? No, I am talking about the... It, oh, so why... Azeri, okay, the then why are you... Okay, so... Well, uh, they were fighting the Azeri Turks. It was the Turks they were fighting. It was in Azerbaijan, but they were Az- the, the Azerbaijan Turks is who Armenia, the Christians, were fighting. They're, why are they called now, Turks? Well, that's... I don't know. That's, <laughs> they were the Turkish people that live in... Why, why do people call themselves Irish when they live in America? You know, these all right, are no, 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 I, I, I'm not challenging you at all. I, 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 I understood it as Azerbaijanis versus Armenians. Exactly. But and and were, by the my own view is that the Armenians are being pr- persecuted. Well, the Armenians lost because yeah. Israel supplied them all the weapons. Yeah, okay, that, that, I, I, oh, back in a moment. All righty, everybody, this is the Aries of the General, whatever's on your mind. Nobody has called in about cigars, Sean, or audio equipment, or photography equipment, or classical music, or, oh no, don't tell me I'm stymied. Do you know what the fifth one is? No, Peruvian pancakes. You know, that is not helpful in a national talk show, to tell the host something wrong. All right, Philadelphia, a city in mourning. Hello, Mark. Dennis. That's right. Thank you for ta- thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. All is all is not lost with our six and one eagles, so that's okay. We'll we'll. Oh, we'll so you see, that's not right to the Phillies. 
For you to transfer <laughs> affection so readily. Okay, I'm not going to say any more. Go ahead. <laughs> I have a theological. Thank you for taking my call, Dennis. Right. Uh, I, I did have I did have a theological question uh, for you. Why does the Old Testament prohibit pork? Where ancient Israel they didn't make a golden pig and worshipped it. They made a golden calf and worshipped it. One would think that there should be a prohibition against beef. Because they don't want to eat a false god. <laughs> well, you don't want to eat a false god. Yeah, you know, that's, that's, the uh, that's the point. Are you are you Jewish? No, I'm not. Because that is such a Jewish type question. That's why I'm cracking up. <laughs> why would well, guess, this is the way they would do it in, in my Jewish? Why would the rabbis allow the this if the, the pork was the thing of the thing and they worship the calf? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> You must live in a Jewish neighborhood. I, I, that's my only possible explanation. All right, actually, okay, so in all seriousness, the way kosher works is not by animal. It is by sign. Uh, does an animal have the following sign? So an a, for a land animal, it has to, ha, it has to have uh, split hooves and it has to chew its cud. And the pig has split hooves, but it doesn't chew its cud. So it, it misses one of the two signs of a kosher animal. And so it, there is no, we, uh, there's no concept of the Torah where all the Old Testament laws are, uh, that the Torah likes, uh, likes cows, but doesn't like pigs or, or by your reasoning, which is not, by the way, not wrong. Theoretically, it likes pigs and doesn't like cows because, you can't kill the or pig. Or that God was sore. Or, or that God was upset. Yeah, it has nothing to do hey, with I, upset. So let, let me, okay, oh, okay. Your, your question is excellent, and that's one of the many reasons I passionately advocate that people buy my Rational Bible series. I am up to volume five of the five volumes of the Torah. I did Genesis, Exodus, and Deuteronomy. I finished this week, amazingly, I sent in the last chapter of Numbers, and there's only Leviticus left. Uh, is I I never re I did not realize when I undertook this how how challenging it would be, but it is the proudest achievement maybe of my life. I'm not talking personal achievements, like family and stuff. So, in a nutshell, this will fascinate any of you who were fascinated by such questions, and everybody should be. It's just truly interesting. All the land animals that are kosher, th that have the two signs, they are vegetarian. And all the carnivorous animals are not kosher. And I believe that there is some something to that fact. I don't think it's insignificant. Generally, the division between life and death is, is huge in the Torah. And the as a general rule, it is not true for every single species. As a general rule, the non-kosher animals have to do with death. So that birds of prey are not kosher, other birds are. A fish that are... Uh, the, as it were, the eaters of the dead on the on the floor of the of, 
of the land of the ocean mass, they are not kosher. And again, the carnivorous animals are not kosher. It's a it's somewhat of a life death issue. The ultimate lesson really is you can't eat you can't kill and eat every animal. That's that's the bottom line. Back in a moment. And I'm looking to make sure however the Prager law of looking for a page is applying. Yes, I was right. Roughgreens.com slash Prager eight three three two two three rough. Good. Nice, cool, on to your calls. All right, everybody. Rochester, Minnesota, Josh, hello. Well, hello, Dennis, how are you? Well, thank you. So, I had a story, and I know, I, I know you guys have already taken a couple calls about free will in this hour, but uh, I had one that you might find interest in uh, regarding uh, children raised by their parents following their parents' footsteps. So there was a... And I and I heard this from somebody else. It might not be actually true, but I thought it was pretty cool. Um, there was a father who, for the majority of his life, was lived in jail, in and out of the criminal justice system, um, and bad lived bad morally... Lived, lived a bad moral life, and his one of his sons followed in his father's footsteps and another of his sons did not um so when there was a uh people that asked his son his first son you know why are you the way that you are you know why are you in jail committing crimes and his answer was with a father like mine who wouldn't be and then they people asked uh, his second son the same question, and his second son was an upstanding multimillionaire businessman with fantastic morals, led a very good life. And they asked him the same question: "Why are you the way that you are?" And his answer was, "With a father like mine, who wouldn't be?" You know, I I knew that was the answer, which just doesn't take away from the, from your story, uh, and I I get moral credit for not interrupting and offering the answer. Uh, it's a, It was very tempting. Yep, that's correct. That's Whether it's true or not is entirely accurate. Look, the free will issue, I, I'll have to revisit it because there are people, and not criminals, but I... I see people who do things that are so injurious to themselves and I think why you can't control yourself there's no doubt some people have more free will than others but remember if there is no God and we're all just physical there is no free will at all you can't create free will if you're just a mechanism all right let's see here anderson south carolina the famous bob of anderson hello thanks dennis <clears throat> i think it was fountain pens maybe that you missed earlier i don't know it might um, have been. but i do have a question 
Uh, I've had a classical tune stuck in my head for a while, and I can't recall what the name is, and I was hoping that you might be able to help me with that. If you hum it well, there's a there's a fifty fifty chance. Go ahead. I'm a bad hummer, but you know what? I actually, it's funny. I actually, but that's not a classical theme. It was the Three Stooges theme. <laughs> or some some cartoon theme. They often use class. It might be. It may very well might be. Anyway, I I'm I'm honored that you would think I would know it. I do know often, but there's a lot of classical music out there. Oh, Kadoki. Well, we don't often get a 90 year old calling in, so we will honor Gail in Los Angeles. How you doing, Gail? Just great. Uh, I want to tell you, you mentioned why Truman decided to drop the atomic, the second atomic bomb. He called in five leading professors from all over the United States. One was from Los An- one was from uh, uh, Columbus, Ohio, Ohio State. One was from UCLA, and three were top uh, Japanese uh, history professors from leading colleges back east. And they talked to him, uh, and they all decided, especially with the three Japanese scholars, that they would that the Japanese higher ups know that they are losing the war, but they would not surrender. But if he dropped the second bomb, uh, they would uh, have an honorable out and drop and and surrender, and that is what happened. Well. I read a lot about it, and there's no, to me, there's no question without the atom bombs, both atom bombs, they would not have surrendered. They were already preparing for the defense of Japan by arming all Japanese citizens, and for those for whom the atom bomb was immoral, please understand the complexities of life far more Japanese, not to mention Americans, would have died had the bombs not been dropped. Just like with Hamas, when your country is taken over by evil human beings who then commit horrible atrocities on others, everyone will suffer. And it is not the fault of the people who were attacked by the evil regime. It is the fault of the evil regime. The Germans who died in World War II, their blood is on Hitler's hands and the Nazis' hands. The Japanese who died in World War II, their blood is on Hirohito's and the general's hands. And that's the way it works in life. I don't know of a choice. People who say Israel should not invade Gaza. I'm not thrilled about Israel invading Gaza for a whole host of reasons. But I I have I have a, an insurmountable obstacle to my opposition. What is Israel supposed to do? You slaughtered equivalent to the American population of 50,000 of our people in the worst Jewish day since the Holocaust and we don't 
invade. Well, the man was right. It is a classical piece. I didn't identify it, even though I knew the feet. I knew the, the music. But it's very famous. A lot of people know it. You know, I realize there was a much better chance if it was a theme of a piano concerto or symphony. Well, this is really famous. This part, yeah. Okay, well, we solved your problem. Jacques Offenbach is the composer. I I don't know light uh, classical as well as the the heavier. Anyway, there. It is what it is. I'm happy to acknowledge my lacunae. All right, let's see here. Hmm, there are so many, so many great questions. Hmm, Megan in Nashville, Tennessee. Hello. Hello, Grandpa Denny. Thank you. I have one question about male-female nature and then a comment about a happy hour dance. Which one would you like first? No, we can only do one. Do the female nature. That's what I, that's what I saw on the board. Sure. So I know you've given recommendations on previous shows about controlling male nature, and I feel like online, in terms of women controlling their nature, being very emotional and sensitive and overthinking, the only suggestions are really to take a bubble bath and put crystals in my pockets. So I was wondering if you had any more helpful tips or book recommendations that would truly help me control my own nature as well as better understand that of my male partner god do i (laughs) i need an hour for that one at least but in a nutshell my major theme on this issue has been to tell parents that you must teach your girls to control their natures as much as you teach your boys to control their natures and most parents don't they know boys natures in the sexual realm and the violence realm need to be controlled but since those are not the problems with females females are not raping and harassing uh, uh, and otherwise acting out sexually in that way and they are uh, much less involved in violence so they don't understand though that girls can do as much damage in their way as boys do in their way and that's my big concern. You raise your daughter to control her emotions, just as you raise your boy to control his predilections. And very few parents do that. And women, if you haven't been raised that way, at least know it. And a good man can help you in that regard, just as you can help men in regard to their natures. I wish I could take all of your calls. I live with many wishes that are unfulfilled. Such is the human condition. Thank you for listening. I hope we have a better weekend on planet Earth. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, Every single day, become a member of Pragertopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at Pragertopia.com.
Com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.